Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. Three years ago, I introduced you to a food forest that was being established in Austin, Texas. A food forest is an edible, sustainable public park. It contains fruit and nut trees, as well as culinary and medicinal herbs. The first trees in this particular food forest were planted in 2014, and the land was engineered with berms and swales to hold on to any rain that fell, rather than letting it run off. Over the years, more plants have been added, and those first trees have grown and matured. Anyone can come to the park and pick and eat the ripe fruit, nuts, and herbs. It's a remarkable concept, and I was curious to see what's been happening in the years since the trees, shrubs, and other greenery were planted. So I talked to Jonathan Barona and Umer Kaku, who work to keep the Festival Beach food forest going. Jonathan has worked on the food forest since its inception, and we began with him defining a food forest. A food forest uh, in kind of the most basic sense is a man-made forest designed for sustainable food production, uh, specifically using permaculture principles. Um, so the Festival Beach Food Forest is really designed as a public park and a public space uh, for education as well as food production. The main purpose is kind of a combination of education and community building and some of those kind of commons uh, aspects of a neighborhood and of, and of a community, right? So trying to provide a, a tranquil space in the middle of uh, downtown Austin, um, as well as providing uh, fresh produce and uh, food production for that same community. And when you say education, what is it you're educating people about? Uh, yeah, so lots of the education is around kind of community food production. Uh, so we've done various different workshops at the Festival Beach Food Forest uh, focused around uh, kind of the use of medicinal herbs, um, harvesting and processing different uh, food stuffs that comes out of uh, the, the food forest. Um, so I know we've done sessions on tinctures, uh, and then we also do... Uh, different educational events around the technology involved. So those permaculture principles. So we've done some uh, just basic permaculture 101 uh, education type programming, uh, as well as uh, education around tree planting, um, tree watering and kind of irrigation systems, uh, uh, tree identification, uh, those types of things and, and harvesting. And I believe we've done some on, on pruning and kind of best practices there. So uh, most of the education is going to be related to the site and the food production capabilities of permaculture and a, a food forest. And just to add to that, um, for, for in terms of education, I think some of the other skills that people get out of it is when volunteers come to help out on our It's My Park Days and whatnot, a lot of them, you know, have never dug a hole to plant a tree or something like that. And so they, they will learn those things, how to do those properly. Um, and then also teaching people what the plants look like that they get food from. A lot of people, a lot of us don't know what the trees or the shrubs look like. 
for things that we buy at the grocery store. So it's really cool to educate people about these different plants and how they maybe work together um, and, may, you know, what parts of the plant might or might not be edible, right? All of that is, is part of the education as well, understanding that not everything in the food forest is edible. Yeah, well, that's a great point. Okay. And then who does the work of maintaining the food forests and what kinds of uh, tasks are required to keep the trees and plants going and to add new plants? This is mayor. So um, we have a core plant team that oversees kind of the management of the different plants and, and, and whatnot. Um, and then we also have a volunteer team that puts together events for more people to come out, come out and help with everything from weeding to mulching to watering plants, especially in the heat of summer. Um, and then we also have work days every second Saturday of the month that anybody can come to. Right now, we're, we're kind of limiting capacity, of course, but in, in normal times, that is also one way we get volunteers. In addition to our core team, we also have some, recently we've, we've gotten some woofers, uh, which is a, I, I forget what the acronym is for, but it's basically like people will come from out of town and they essentially work on the food forest in exchange for having a place to stay with uh, some people from our from our team, so that's also a cool um, cool way to get people to help us out. And then, of course, we have technology like Jonathan hinted at. So we've got irrigation set up, and then the berms and swales, which help slow down the water runoff and have it you know absorb into the soil, along with the mulch, which helps absorb more of the water. Uh, that really reduces our efforts in terms of having to go in and water the irrigation kind of runs most of the year. And then the summer, if it breaks, then we have to go in and hand water. Or if we plant something new, we might have to go in and, um, you know, take care of those plants. The ways the garden is, or the forest is designed to uh, conserve water. Is that right? Is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Yes. Um, Part of big part of permaculture is water management and, and soil improvement, and that's something we've been doing since day one. Hey, this is Jonathan. Um, the other thing that I'll add is, since our conversation, I guess three years ago, uh, you know, the plants have grown up. So now the food forest looks a lot more like a forest. We have uh, more of an urban canopy than we did three years ago, um, and so the nature of the food force is that as it grows up, it becomes easier to maintain itself uh, because now you do have a lot more shade, you have a lot more water retention, you have more fertility. Uh, so just kind of over time, uh, the concept is that the actual maintenance will uh, be reduced uh, and the water consumption will be reduced based on the way that it's been designed and the growth of the, uh, the trees. And, and is that something you've seen over the years, that the water consumption is going down? Yes. Well, I would say yes and no, because we've added uh, considerably more uh, plants since we first started. We also have uh, kind of a more extensive irrigation system uh, that we've cobbled together over the years. Uh, but absolutely I think you can tell in the health and the survivability of the trees and the different plants, uh, you know, when we do have a line break or when we do have, you know, a few weeks of hundred degree weather in Austin, it, 
it's not as catastrophic uh, to the plants if they don't get kind of that that immediate water. Um, so I do think you can see it. Umer, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what your thoughts are, but I for sure can see it from when we had a bunch of, you know, little sticks sticking out of berms uh, when the first set of plants were, were planted. Yeah, this is Umer again. We use about a tenth of the water volume that the community garden right next door to us uses. And the community garden is bigger than us too. So we, uh, we, we use about a 10th of all the water that they use. So in that sense, we are still, you know, very sustainable and, and using minimal amounts of water because the irrigation really only runs, it's, uh, it's also drip irrigation. So it's under like, it's very close to the soil, right? So there's not a whole lot of water loss to, evaporation and it only runs when it's not too hot so with some of those techniques as well um, and with an additional canopy or, or a growing canopy we lose a lot less water um and you know the plants are yeah tougher you're listening to mothering earth i'm here today with jonathan barona and umer kaku and we're talking about the festival beach food forest um so what kinds of trees and plants are in the food forest? In other words, if I were to go there and walk around, um, what could I pick off the trees <laughs> to eat? This is Umer. There are so many plants. I could, I could really go in on this. But just to give you an idea of some of the more common plants that we have, if you walked in, I think the, the first thing you would notice are the, the gigantic pecan and live oak trees that we have. Those are the largest trees uh, that that provide the biggest amount of canopy. And then we have quite a few mulberry trees. I think we have seven mulberry trees. We also have quite a few pomegranates that do really well in central Texas. Um, at our entrance, we have some Arbequina olives, which is really cool. We had our first harvest this year. We also have uh, quite a few fig trees. And this summer, we had a lot of figs that tons of people came in to uh, you know, take advantage of. We also have quite a few um, Japanese, American, and one Texas, no, two Texas persimmons. And um, let's see, we've also got quite a few elderberries. So there is a ton of stuff. Um, the moringas also are, they're, they're very tall and skinny, almost like little skyscrapers. So they definitely stand out in terms of, you know, when you walk in, you will see those. And then we also have a lot of uh, nitrogen fixers that are getting larger and really contributing to improving the soil. Uh, we have one satsuma that is pretty big and, and it's producing th fruit. And then we have smaller ones that we've planted recently that are uh, thriving for lack of a better word. That sounds great. So, and you also, or do you also have things like herbs? So yeah, we have quite a few herbs. We have uh, those planted on the edges of a lot of the berms. We have a medicine berm that has tons of rosemary, uh, lemon balm, lemon bee balm. Uh, we've also got roses. We have a new Vitex tree as well. Uh, yeah, we have mint and things like that. So yeah, quite a few herbs growing. The trees obviously really stand out. And then there are a lot of like shrubs as well. Like we have these things called pineapple guavas, which are super cool. You can eat the flowers. And I was able to get some fruit to generate this year by hand pollinating them. Um, yeah, and then we have a lot of wildflowers as well. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Jonathan Barona and Umer Kaku of the Festival Beach Food Forest. But right now, it's time for a break. 
We're back now. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Umer Kaku and Jonathan Barona of the Festival Beach Food Forest. When when the trees are fruiting or producing, um, are, is all this fruit being consumed by people, or do you find some of it's just sort of stays on the trees. How, ma- how many how people come to take advantage of all this wonderful stuff? Last summer, we definitely had uh, quite a bit of, especially the peaches, we had quite a bit of peaches that ended up going to the squirrels and the birds. Um, but this summer is par- probably partly due to COVID. We've actually had quite a few people come and harvest things growing there. Um, I have, I try to go every weekend and I oftentimes will see people uh, collecting. A, lo- a lot of people collected loquats this summer. Tons of people collected loquats. Um, and then lots of people were harvesting elderberries as well. But birds also love elderberries. There's enough for everybody. Um, some people have harvested the moringa fruit this summer too. And um, figs as well. Tons of people were coming in and checking out the figs. And then I harvested the olives this summer. So, yeah, people are definitely consuming the fruit there now that we have enough of a harvest. Yeah, I'll add, uh, this is Jonathan. I'll add, uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned pomegranates, but I know that's the one I'm the most excited about. I need to get out there uh, to grab a couple before they're all gone. Uh, But the kind of ethos of the food forest is we're not necessarily... Uh, kind of weighing the harvest. Uh, there's no real restriction on who can harvest, uh, which makes it a little bit challenging to kind of provide metrics around uh, you know, tons of food or, or pounds of food uh, produced. Uh, you know, the idea is that there, if we plant in abundance, there will be enough for the wildlife, right? Which you know leads to a, a healthy ecosystem, um, as well as Kind of anybody in the community that uh, would like to harvest. So I think we've, because it's been a few years now that the food forest has been in existence, there are more people that are aware of its existence and its production um, who, you know, are going out and harvesting uh, kind of at, at their leisure, essentially. Uh, so I do think, you know, that's. An, an important piece is that someone could be walking in a park and, and grab a snack for the day. Um, or you get some other people that will go and harvest herbs and then have that for, you know, the next few weeks. So um, it's a very dynamic uh, food harvesting system. I would say. Right. Yeah, it sounds absolutely wonderful. Earlier, uh, one of you referred to permaculture. So can you describe the concept of permaculture? and how it applies to the food forest? Sure, this is Omer. Uh, so permaculture broadly is, is a systems-based understand perspective of natural ecosystems and how they function, and then applying those principles to create our own systems um, of edible, edible landscaping. So, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the ecosystems that inspire permaculture are edge ecosystems. Um, we are seeing an increase in edge ecosystems across. So edge is basically when two different ecosystems are coming into contact with each other, right? So if you go to a public park, typically there's going to be you know some sort of a field and then there's going to be trees maybe on the edges, right? So where those trees and the 
kind of grassland come into contact, that's an edge ecosystem. And we're seeing more of that with, with increased uh, deforestation. But those are also some of the most dynamic ecosystems in the world because you've got essentially two ecosystems in conflict almost, right? Like the, the forest is trying to expand and the grassland is, is also trying to stay a grassland. Um, and so uh, you w- when you observe those and you study those, uh, you can glean some of the principles of what kinds of things are growing and where they're growing and how, you know, the, the largest trees kind of provide canopy for seedlings to grow um, and whatnot. Um, and so we, we use those principles to then create man-made forests. Uh, there's been documented evidence of, of people thousands of years ago in Brazil, for example, uh, doing the same thing is kind of expanding the forest by taking things that they like, like figs, for example, in, in the Middle East have been what some of the oldest cultivated plants. And all the evidence we have suggests that people literally just took fig seeds and then planted them where they lived and kind of grew a little fig forest um, from, you know, figs in the wild. So a lot of permaculture is applying those principles. And and also, as I understand it, part of permaculture is designing to uh, minimize the amount of labor that's involved in maintaining the area. Is that right? Yeah, this is Omer. Yep, that is right. Uh, permaculture is um, also a lazy person's way of uh, <laughs> growing food. Okay. Um, so the food forest idea seems to be a possible solution to areas where there are food deserts, uh, such as low-income neighborhoods where there are no uh, supermarkets close by and people have little access to transportation. So, uh, Jonathan, I understand that you're now involved in a project called Fruitful Commons that could benefit areas with food deserts. Can you tell us about Fruitful Commons? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Fruitful Commons, uh, you know, really comes, the name is about the commons, right? So our public parks, our public spaces, the places that are really designed for all of us, all, in, an entire community, and then uh, making them fruitful, so making them productive and abundant. Uh, so that's where the name comes from. Uh, but really the concept is you know, having worked in the food for food forest project for the last few years, uh, talking to other folks, kind of in communal agriculture projects around the city, uh, we noticed that there are some common challenges uh, for the for the success of those projects. Right, uh, a lot of times there is you know lots of energy and excitement around the in ground. Uh, kind of project, getting your hands dirty, planting the tree, harvesting food, um, but there are other challenges. The Fruitful Commons really kind of existed to help lighten, or was created to help lighten that burden uh, so that more of these communal agriculture projects can exist, uh, leading to kind of the decline of an urban food desert, right? Um, The food forest was intentionally kind of uh, placed where it is because East Austin, uh, even with all of the gentrification that exists, uh, is a food desert. There is a lack of access to affordable, healthy uh, produce uh, and food. Uh, And what you'll see is that around the city and around the country, 
community gardens and other kind of urban farms, urban agriculture projects happen to address a lack of kind of institutionalized food access. Um, So on the east side specifically, there's just not a whole lot of uh, grocery stores, not a whole lot of farmers markets or there weren't. Um, And even now with the increase in kind of median income and the gentrification that's happening, there is a lot of uh, fancier restaurants, more high price uh, restaurants uh, and boutique supermarkets and boutique shops. But there's still a lack of affordable, fresh produce and fresh foods. Um, So we're hoping that by making it easier for these projects to exist and get off the ground and thrive and be successful, we can address the lack of access uh, in our communities and in the communities all around Austin that are dealing with uh, with not having enough access to healthy food. We, you know, really hope to focus on resource sharing, uh, potentially backbone services, so helping folks with their grant reporting, grant writing, all of those types of things, uh, and really just kind of help support everything that goes into making these types of projects successful, uh, even though most of the time they're volunteer work. So if we can provide that infrastructure. My last question is, what kind of feedback do you get from people who come to the food forest? Or do you get, do you gather feedback of any kind? Yeah, so this is Jonathan and, and Umer. I'd love for you to jump in as well. But uh, I think we have perfect five stars on uh on google maps or google whatever the review is there uh folks generally really enjoy the space uh so you know i think what's interesting about the food forest and where it's located is we're right downtown we're right next to uh, i-35 which is a giant uh, highway that cuts through the middle of austin and you know when you walk into the food forest i think the first thing you notice is how tranquil and peaceful the spaces because it feels like a forest at this point in the middle of downtown. Uh, we've had visitors from uh, around the world and across the country uh, from you know, kind of Seattle to Atlanta. And then I know, uh, you know, I've met folks out there from, who were coming from Brazil to come visit the food forest. So, uh, which was, was pretty exciting. Uh, so we get folks from all over, not just kind of the, very local neighborhood, but all over Austin, all over Texas, all over the U.S. and the world. Yeah, this is Omer. So the the only other thing I want to add to the feedback part of things, uh, one of the interesting responses I often get from volunteers at big events, like it's my park day, is they're surprised that the food force isn't fenced off, right? Because a lot of people know community gardens. They know what a community garden structure is, and they, of course, know their backyard where they grow fruit, and they maybe know a botanical garden all of which are fenced off. And so a lot of people are surprised that the, the food forest is truly open to the public and that anybody can go and harvest fruit. And, you know, people, of course, uh, express concern that, oh, you know, you're putting all this effort in. Aren't you afraid people are going to just take all the fruit that you grew? But, you know, that is the point. So it is counterintuitive for some people. But, of course, you know, it's all opening up that discussion of, you know, a, a public park and, uh, you know, food in downtown Austin and who should have access to those things, who shouldn't. Like, it is it is a really cool place and always love talking to people about that. The food forest is really meant to be visited and enjoyed, but definitely come and check it out. 
Uh, and you can find kind of more information at festivalbeach.org. Um, we're on some of the different social media outlets, so Facebook, Instagram, uh, so Twitter, maybe. Uh, check us out there um, as well. Uh, and then we're always looking for folks to join either the kind of ongoing, uh, you know, site maintenance piece of it. So if you're uh, kind of a seasoned practitioner or someone who just wants to get into this type of work, we're always happy to have new folks uh, engage, um, either on the kind of maintenance side, the plant maintenance, kind of site maintenance side, or in the broader uh, kind of organizational structure and in visioning and all of that. If you live in the central Texas area, visit the Festival Beach Food Forest. If you don't, perhaps you'll be inspired to create a food forest near where you live. Either way, I hope you enjoyed our program, and thanks for listening. Please tell people you know about this podcast. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. Music